0: Bye. Let me tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Hello? Hello, it's Monday. It definitely is Monday. And it's a wonderful Monday. There. All right, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God cast into hell Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, all right, let's go to the big book on the coffee table. Well, this is from the book of Sirach. These are the, it's always confusing to me. The, uh, you know, what's what about There's the book of Sirach. This is, uh, sometimes it's called Ecclesiasticus. There's Ecclesiastes, there's Ecclesiasticus, and, you know, I've been reading this stuff my whole life, and I still get confused. (laughs) This is one of the so-called Catholic books. It's it's accepted by Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, most Eastern churches, and the Anglicans, um, uh, kind of have it in the King James Bible, among the apocryphal books, um, we believe it's inspired scripture. So, you know, don't worry about it. Uh, Let's go to the actual reading, the book of, well, let me talk a little bit more about the book of Sirach, just so that you know what the book of Sirach is. It is, well, it's, it's a wisdom book. It's probably written in the century before Christ. Um, It's, well, 200 to 175 BC. And it is, Uh, Written by a fellow named Ben Sirah uh, in Jerusalem. And uh, it was translated to Greek in Egypt. It was translated into Greek in Egypt. And from there it was, um, it made it into this uh, Septuagint. So uh, it's also uh, um, uh, sometimes called uh, Jesus, son of Sirach, uh, Yeshua ben Eliezer ben Sirach, Ecclesiasticus. Just. Keep that straight. Now let's go to the actual reading. Um, I don't know if that informed you of anything at all, but it, it's it's a wisdom book, and they were very popular. Well, he says in the very beginning, first chapter, first verse: All wisdom comes from the Lord. And I really just want to talk in in the context of this reading about wisdom. That what is wisdom? What is knowledge? First of all, don't get knowledge confused with the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, the gift that most people would call it, but really I prefer to call them the manifestations of the Holy Spirit in St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, the 12th chapter. That is what is called the word of knowledge. And it's something that, that, um, for instance, Padre Pio had. You go to confession and if you leave a sin out, Padre Pio would tell you what it was and sometimes come around and drag you out of the confessional Uh, by your collar and say, come back when you're ready to, to confess all your sins. That's a gift of knowledge, not to be confused with just general knowledge. Uh, Knowledge is being aware of a fact. Wisdom is something more. And the best definition, the best contrast between wisdom and knowledge I ever heard is that, is that to know that the tomato is in fact a fruit, this is knowledge Wisdom is the good sense, not to put it in a fruit salad. <laughs> oh, Bart, it wasn't that funny. I've said it before. Okay, moving along here. Wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge, and again, I'm not talking about the, the spiritual manifestation, the word of knowledge. But knowledge is a very dangerous thing when it is not tempered by Wisdom. We are a society in which knowledge is easy. I just—I always marvel when I'm having a discussion uh, with someone. Uh, and they say, "Well, let's look it up." You pull oh, out your phone and you for a look, computer and it can't handle no, a simple no, 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 assignment. No. It's, the computers work fine. The—at least today—you pull out your little handheld device, and lo and behold, you have access to a world of knowledge that seems almost infinite. I mean, when I was a student and finally decided to get serious about my education and preparing for the priesthood, I, I spent long nights in the library uh, and just would uh, go through a research chain. I'd, I'd read something, and then I'd see something that looked interesting, and I'd follow that chain. Now you can do that with a, with a, with a cell phone almost instantly. We have so much knowledge uh, science for instance scientia is is comes from the latin word scio which means i know scire means to know and science means knowledge science is a very dangerous thing when not tempered by wisdom we have the ability the ability to destroy the world do we have the wisdom not to do so you see not tempered by wisdom knowledge is a very dangerous thing now i tell you again to the point of being tedious that my favorite definition of love is St. Thomas Aquinas' definition of love, to will the good of another. When you share knowledge, are you willing the good of another? I always uh, remember back in the old days of the Pentecostal movement, I'd go to a prayer meeting and someone would come up to me and say, Brother, I don't know your name, but the Lord told me to tell you. Or let me explain that verse of scripture to you. They weren't, they weren't loving me. They weren't doing this for my good. They just had some knowledge and some truth that they needed to get off their off their chest. And they were going to tell me whether I needed to hear it or not. You know, I really believe that, that the Bible is full of, of principles. The Bible is a book of principles, biblical principles. Um, and I heard a preacher once explain that God loves principle, He does not love method. Methodists, I'm sure he loves. They're lovely people. But method, not so much. What does that mean? You know, you go to a prayer meeting, and you are in charge of the prayers for the sick. And that night, you happen to have your bowling shirt on and your feedlot cap, and you say three Hail Marys, you speak in tongues, and you pray over the person, and darned if they don't get healed. Now you know how to heal the sick. You wear your lucky bowling uh, shirt and your your feedlot cap and you say three Hail Marys and pray in tongues. God doesn't work that way. The minute you think you've got God down to a method, he, he changes it. He works another way because God will not be bound by our method. That's magic. God shares principles with us. Now, a biblical principle, I, I think, you know, we used to argue in the old Pentecostal movement all the time about whether, you know, you go into a Pentecostal meeting, everybody's babbling in Babylonian, jumping up and down, and having a wonderful time. Provided you do it downstairs in the hall, it's fine. I wouldn't do it in the church. But eh, I digress. Oh, you shouldn't do that. The Bible says, let one speak in tongues and there be interpretation. I don't know. You know, that, that, that there was endless argument about this. But I learned that that verse in Scripture is really a biblical principle. Do not speak in tongues unless there is someone to interpret. What the heck is Father talking about now? I'll get there. I'll get there. I really will. This is a principle. Don't say something in a way that it cannot be heard. You know, I don't care what you think. I'm just going to tell you the truth. (laughs) What? No, you speak the truth in love. I remember hearing a wonderful sermon about the two arms of the Christian. One is truth and one is love. You got a baby and you want, that baby wakes up in the middle of the night and it's your turn to feed the baby, dad. You got to go get a bottle from the, 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 uh, the refrigerator and you warm it up and then you spring a little on your wrist. You burn your wrist. You cool it off. You spring a little more. You got to heat it up some more. Meanwhile, that kid is crying. You go into the, into the uh, nursery, you pick the kid up, you hold the kid with one arm, and then you put the bottle in and you, you stand there while that kid eats. That's speaking the truth in love. With the arm of love, we hold the person. With the arm of truth, we feed them. Now, if I were to be on for the feeding of a small child and I would go in the refrigerator and I'd get the bottle of milk, throw it in the crib and say, here, kid, good luck with that, and go back to bed. All the nutrition is in the bottle. My heating it and my holding the child doesn't add to the nutrition of the bottle. But the kid still is not going to be able to make use of that nutrition. You speak the truth in love. The truth is wisdom or the truth is knowledge. Love is wisdom. You don't just blurt things out to people because you want to get it off your chest. I think this is very important. Wisdom comes from the Lord. And without wisdom, knowledge is fairly useless. These things go in tandem. And I might just, you know, do the brave gesture and say the bold thing in a way that nobody's going to hear it. Have I done any good? No. I maybe feel better for it, but I've done no good. All wisdom comes from the Lord. And wisdom puts a check on knowledge, makes knowledge palatable to the person who can hear it. Wisdom is to love someone. I, I, I really think we don't, we don't think of that at all. And what is wisdom? Wisdom is, is I think, the wisdom that this, is, uh, that this reading is talking about is a real waiting on the Lord and a real, uh, a real sense of prayer. Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? What do you want me to say to this brother, this friend of mine, this sister? What do you want me to tell them? To really pray for them and to go to them with 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 humility and, brother, you know, I love you and I'm really kind of concerned about this. That's different than, I'm going to tell you and you're going to listen. Doesn't work. All right, let's go to the gospel. This is Mark, the ninth chapter, the 14th verse and following. Jesus came down from the mountain with Peter, James, and John and approached the other disciples. Jesus and Peter and James and John had been up the mountain in prayer and God had worked a great miracle, manifested his son in in the the light of the resurrection, speaking with Moses and Elijah. This this follows the transfiguration. Well, they saw a large crowd around them, scribes arguing with the disciples. (laughs) Immediately on seeing him, the whole crowd was amazed. What are you arguing about? And this guy comes up and says, teacher, I brought my son possessed by a mute spirit. It seizes him. It throws him down. He foams at the mouth. I ask your disciples to drive that demon out, but they were unable to do so. Let's stop there. Is mental illness demonic? Is illness demonic? Uh, uh, well, yes and no. This isn't an either an either or. It's a kind of continuum that... that uh, The brokenness of human life since the fall of Adam and Eve includes a vulnerability to the attacks of the devil. It includes illness. It includes death. It includes sickness. It includes uh, mental disabilities and illness. The devil gets a big kick out of human suffering. Uh, Again, I refer you to the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. The book is excellent, but I really do recommend that you would find uh, John Cleese, uh, Monty Python, and A Fish Called Wanda. He reads it. You can get on YouTube. Just just do a web search, Screw Tape Letters, John Cleese, one chapter one, YouTube. It'll come up. Uh, It's it's the way he reads it is is wonderful it's both humorous and profound and um um to me for me reading it was not was okay but when i heard it acted out by uh, mr cleese it it was just a revelation and i have spoken to exorcists about this book and I, one exorcist in particular i'm thinking of just says he is amazed he wonders where c.s lewis got all this stuff because it is right on spot it is right on target and um it's a profound book, and it's not frightening, and it does not glorify the devil. Uh, so, it's, 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 um, I think it's an excellent thing for people to read. So, that said, um, the, this idea that somehow um, uh, mental illness, you know, this kid sounds like he has a mental ill. We would define him as being mentally ill. Well, is it demonic or not? Well, as I said, it's kind of continuum. You know, when I'm sick, it's not the devil's fault, but the devil certainly enjoys it. The devil thrives on human misery. So I I, I don't know why I'm dwelling on this thought, but perhaps some people need to hear it. Well, Jesus, uh, they say the disciples couldn't cast him out. And Jesus' response is, O faithless generation. When we say faithless or unfaithful, that's a terrible thing to say. Let's translate it the way that I think it should be translated. I'm always telling you that when you see the word, the noun faith, the adjective faithful, the verb believe, or the phrase have faith, those all can be translated trust. The word in Greek means to trust. Pistis is faith or really trust. And pistos means trustworthy. Same root. This is one of the few words that I've learned in any language that can be translated literally using a word from another language. You know, usually there are nuances. And while this word kind of means that, it kind of doesn't mean that. Pistis means faith. I mean, or rather, I'm sorry, pistis means trust. So I would venture that you can always take those words, trust or take faith, Believe those words out of the Bible and put the word trust in whenever you see those words. So, oh faithless generation, oh generation without trust, how long will I be with you? The scribes and the Pharisees were demanding that that, that this demon be cast out, and the disciples couldn't do it. Oh, well, Jesus comes up, and um, it does seem to be very demonic because he, it reacts to the presence of, of Christ, and he talks to the Father, he asks him questions. Um, well, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible to the one who trusts. Huh? That's a little different than the one who has faith. When I say faith, I usually mean to be of a certain opinion. I believe that it will rain tomorrow. I'm of that opinion. Uh, this is not an opinion. Trust is a relationship. Trust. Think about it. Trust is a relationship. You trust facts because you trust the one who tells you those facts. Primarily, when we talk about trust, it is person to person and you can trust Jesus. I think that it's very important for us to understand this. This man is being asked to enter into a relationship in which he trusts Jesus. So the boy's father cried out, cried out, I do trust. Help my lack of trust. That's different. I do trust. Or <laughs> I wouldn't have come. Help my lack of trust. This guy has lived a whole life with this poor kid. And, and he has the agony of a parent. And Jesus is saying, will you trust me? And he says, I'm going to try. <laughs> you know, that's, sometimes that's the best you can do lord i believe help my unbelief i trust you you know help my lack of trust sometimes we think that 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 faith you just have to screw up your head and say i do believe it's like the cowardly lion of the wizard of oz i do believe in spooks i do believe in spooks i do that's that's not that's not faith it's to look at jesus and say jesus i trust in you that glorious prayer taught us by saint faustina jesus i trust in you Help my lack of trust. Okay. Well, Jesus, seeing a crowd rapidly gathering, rebuked the unclean spirit and said to it, Mutant Death Spirit, I, I command you come out and never go again. Uh, go into him again. Well, the disciples said to him in private, why couldn't we drive this spirit out? He said to them, this kind can only come out through prayer. Now, some manuscripts have prayer and fasting. Some manuscripts have prayer. The, certain, the present scholarly opinion is that the, orig- the oldest and best manuscripts simply say prayer. Uh, fasting might have been added later because I think it was It was the common practice of the early church to, to have a number of exorcisms for those who were being baptized. Uh, now we just have sort of one nod to exorcism in the baptismal uh, ritual, but the old the old ceremony, it was rather elaborate, um, the baptismal. You, you cast the demon out of salt. It's quite a prayer. But still, uh, this was a practice in the early church that was even more elaborate. And the person doing the baptizing and the persons being baptized would fast. So I have a feeling that, that this original manuscript uh, probably said this kind can only come out through prayer someone added in fasting because it was the practice of the church. That's my theory. I don't know I wasn't there but all that aside, Jesus did not usually pray to cast out demons. he simply rebuked them. but then he says some some a simple rebuke is not enough. There has to be real prayer going on. Uh, And Jesus had just been up the mountain praying with Peter, James, and John. So he was all prayed up. And I think this is a very important thing for us. You have to realize we are in a spiritual warfare. So often we forget that. We're in a spiritual warfare. And unless you stay, as the Pentecostals call it, prayed up, you are, and, and in a state of grace, you are vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. So as we begin Lent in a couple days, understand that, the church isn't just kind of a committee to help people be good. It's an army that that should be involved in spiritual warfare. And, uh, you know, I'm telling you all the time that the Hail Mary is a very powerful prayer. It, it, the devil hates it because it reminds me of the incarnation. It's a Bible verse thrown at the devil to remind him that God loves even the flesh. So uh, I think that this is a very important principle again that that we understand we aren't just in a, a, a society of of do-gooders we are in an army that's involved in spiritual warfare and some demons are cast out only by prayer so don't let your guard down all right we're going to go to a break we'll come back with some letters and we're going to open the phones at 888 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Battling addictions? Our sponsor, St. Gregory Recovery Center, can help you or a loved one live a substance-free life. Information at slash gregory That's relevantradio.com/gregory. Do a song from my youth. It's a quote from Ecclesiasticus. Or Ecclesiastes, rather. That's from Ecclesiastes. Um, that was when the, the old Jesus movement, and you know, it seems, the Jesus movement seems to be making a comeback in certain places. Maybe I'll talk about that someday. But, yeah, well, there's a movie about it, but I'm thinking of the Asbury Revival. I don't know if you heard of that thing. Some very strange yes. thing is going on in some colleges. And um, Like nine days some, straight of...
1: Worship well, or something? more than
0: that, I think it's still going on. But what what is happening is these these college students are coming in and weeping for their sins, and then then I mean it's just you know oh gosh I'm off the topic I'm talking to talk about revival. Revival is a word we do not use in the Catholic Church, but we have them. For instance, Saint Francis and his early disciples—that was revival. It was absolutely unplanned. Uh, I've heard that the Cathedral of Chartres, the building of the Cathedral of Chartres, was revival. People would come from all over just to work on this cathedral, and they would spend the night in prayer and essentially what we would call prayer meetings. Um, uh, St. Vincent Ferrer and his preaching, that was revival. You know, and a revival is not something you can plan. A committee doesn't produce a revival. doesn't happen. Uh, I remember my, I always call him my favorite theologian, the Reverend Bob. Uh, he said that, that he said with this, with his Southern accent, he said, uh, God doesn't send revival. He shows up himself. And I think that's the point of it. You can't plan a revival. You just have to put yourself before God and say, Lord, do what you're going to do. Um, we like to organize the, the brains out of things. And there are certain things that certainly need to be organized and planned. But, well, God has a way of doing things that is sovereign and effective and perfect. And, you know, I'm, what, I'm interested to see what the reaction of this Asbury revival is when it ends. <laughs> Seriously, revivals end. And uh, this is a season of grace, a revival, whether it be Catholic or evangelical or whatever. It's a season of grace. And it ends. And the cloud of glory moves on. And at that point, they try to institutionalize it and say, well, who's in charge of the revival this week? Doesn't work that way. When the cloud of glory moves on, the cloud of glory moves on. And you follow it, or you're, to quote the letter of the Hebrews, your bones bleach in the desert. But uh, that's a topic for another day. I'm interested to... If anybody has firsthand knowledge of this Asbury revival, I would like to hear about it. Um, I've spoken to people who have really tried to acquaint themselves with it. Um, we'll see what it's about. But I think, you know, revival does not belong to one wing of Christianity or the other. It belongs to God. All right, let's move along. Before we get into letters and phone calls, um, the uh, I wanted to mention, we're going to do the Lenten lessons again, Father Rocky's Lenten lessons, and they're wonderful. And just you can sign up for Father Rocky's Lenten lessons on the Mass at relevantradio.com slash Lent. Just go to the website and look it up. It's absolutely free, and it's it's just really a good way to familiarize yourself with the, the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass and to enrich... Uh, Your life of prayer in Lent. So do it. Go to Father Rocky's Lenten lessons at the Mass on the app or at the website. You will not regret doing it. All right. Let us go to uh, to letters. Let's do a couple letters. All right. Okay. Click this and then go to this. All right. Okay. This is um, uh, uh, this. I found this very interesting. This is from uh, uh, John in Mesa, Arizona. Uh, He was talking about something I said, uh, you know, and talking about sin. Sin is like spitting in God's face. He gave his only begotten son because of sin, and we get jaded to the gravity of sin. That's absolutely true. But then he goes on, I wonder if the Jews lived holier lives than most Christians today because they had to kill the family pet lamb every time they sinned. No, they didn't. This It didn't quite work that way. You see, the sacrificial order didn't forgive sin. It atoned for involuntary uh, infractions of the ritual law. And if you were poor, you didn't offer a lamb. You could offer two turtle doves. Uh, however, this is an insight uh, uh, that lambs and sheep are... are almost, almost like household pets. I think you got a point there that, that I always say mutton was a retirement plan for sheep. You didn't just kill a lamb. You didn't just kill a sheep. Uh, They were very valuable. They produced milk. They produced wool. Uh, They're very, very valuable animals and were not killed gratuitously. Now that said, there is still the practice in certain parts of judaism of ritual sacrifice believe it or not um i don't know if they still do it but there was a a field just an empty lot kind of thing on devon avenue in chicago this was years years ago as i say i don't know if it's still done and there would be uh priests there jewish priests what do you mean jewish priests not rabbis Priests, people whose last name was Cohen or Kogan or Kaplan, and you would bring a chicken, a live chicken, and you would this, this struggling, clucking bird uh, would be in your arms. And I, I remember reading an article uh, from a very progressive magazine. I forget which one it was in Chicago, but one of the uh, writers in this in this magazine who was Jewish, and not. Orthodox and not very observant. I don't think he decided he'd, he'd give it a whirl. So he got a chicken and went to this this lot where these priests were sacrificing chickens, and they would they would, you know, this this clucking, struggling bird, hand it to the to the to the the officiant, one of the officiants in this service, and they would kill the bird and give it back to the person. And it wasn't a lamb. It wasn't a Paschal lamb. Jews, interestingly, Ashkenazi Jews, Sephardi Jews will eat lamb at Passover. Ashkenazi Jews will not eat lamb. They usually have the Passover chicken. They will have a lamb shank, the bone of a lamb on the Passover plate, but they don't eat lamb because there's no temple. They can't sacrifice the lamb in the proper way. But this sort of substitute sacrifice, as I say, I don't know if it still goes on, but a number of years back, it still did. And this author said, that it was a jarring experience, this living struggling creature full of life was handed back to him now dead in atonement for his sin. It was jarring to us chilling to him and and I think John, I think you have a point that that this living thing ceasing to live really does emphasize what sin is. Sin is a death. Sin is a kind of death. So I don't know if that made any sense, but you're right. You know, I, I the particulars who knows, but you're right that, that it must've been a powerful experience and still is in those places where it happens. Uh, that some living thing must die because of sin. It's a powerful lesson. And when we think about it as Christians, that the innocent and holy Son of God, the Son of the Blessed Mother, died because of my sin. That's a powerful thing. All right, moving along here. Okay, let me look at my time. I think I have time for another. Oh, this is complicated. This is from J.T., Why is it? Why is it okay for a married man to be ordained a deacon, but a deacon cannot get married after ordination? Why is it okay in the Eastern Catholic churches for a married man to become a priest, but unable to marry after ordination? Why does the sacrament of marriage have to come first before ordination? Well, that's a biblical thing because St. Paul says that we should remain as we are. Uh, (laughs) That... um, Let me pull this up. The idea of remaining as we are uh, in the scriptures is, uh, it's kind of, again, a biblical principle that when we come to the Lord, we don't change our situation. Uh, um, uh, This is, of course, uh, 1 Corinthians 7.20. Each one should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. So if you're a married man, and you have a sacramental commitment to a wife and possibly children, a family, you don't end that commitment. Uh, That the calling to the diaconate, the calling to service, be it the diaconate or the presbyterate is, is a second calling. However, if the, if the, the marriage ends through the tragedy of death or the greater tragedy of divorce, um, then you are free of that commitment and can dedicate yourself completely to the second commitment. So you don't end a commitment. Um, That's why, and that is the consistent tradition of the church, that a married man can be ordained. Now, I didn't say may, but can. A married man is able to be ordained, but an ordained man is unable to be married. It has been since the earliest days of the church and, uh, you know, it doesn't seem reasonable to us, but if you look at it from a biblical perspective, it is quite, uh, quite, uh, reasonable. So I hope that answers your question, JT, uh, that, um I think it makes great sense. All right. You know, we're going to go to a break. We will come back with a word of the day, and then we will go to phone calls. I think I oh, there's quite a few of them. We will go to phone calls. So, again, 888-914-9149. We will be right back. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, provides a rigorous liberal arts education that forms the whole person for wisdom, truth, and virtue. Learn more about the Catholic University for independent thinkers at relevantradio.com forward slash U Dallas. Religion you know now, everybody gonna be
1: singing a song now. Everybody gonna have a wonderful, wonderful time up there. Oh, 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 oh glory, glory hallelujah! hallelujah. Brother, brother, you the you better get your record on. They're coming no more now. Everybody gonna have
0: a wonderful time up there. I suppose that's true. Well, that said, let us go to the word of the day. This is the most important word in the Bible. As, <laughs> really, as, uh, in the, in, was it Sunday's uh, uh, gospel, we were told to be perfect. Well, that's a pretty tall order, to be perfect. Was it Sunday's gospel? Where was that? Yeah, it was Sunday's gospel. Be perfect. I can't be perfect. Well, if you understand what perfect means, it's related to the word for distance in Greek, telos, from which you get telescope telegraph, all those telewords. It means to go the distance, to have a goal in mind. We think of perfection as, you know, never being late with a credit card payment. Your lawn is perfectly manicured and you're never wrong about a fact and you're really kind of boring to be with. That's perfection. Well, that's not what it means. Perfect really means to go the distance to, to have a goal. So, and the word perfect in Latin exactly means that it means to be completed. Fatiare means to make and para means completely be completed. In other words, have that goal in mind just as your heavenly father is perfect. You know, as is such an important word in the Bible. We're not told to love one another. We're told to love one another as Christ has loved us. We don't ask God to forgive us. We ask God to forgive us as we forgive. It's a huge word. When you see as, you should really stop and notice it and see what just what is the Lord saying to us. So our perfection is not a perfection in punctiliousness, knowledge, and precision. It's a perfection It's the goal that the Father in Heaven has, which is love. When I genuinely love, not quantitatively, but I think qualitatively, I do what God does. I participate in the life of God when I truly will and serve the good of another. Maybe just as a shadow reflection of his love, but still, when I genuinely love, I'm doing what God does. And by his grace and his power, I can. So be perfect. Not the way the world tells you to be perfect. Be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect, as, the biggest word in the Bible. All right, let's go to phone call. Yellow. Well, hello, Todd. What can I do for you, Todd?
1: Hi, Father. I happen to be, uh, I live five miles from Asbury University.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And this is the this is the third time in my lifetime that this has happened. But this is the, the biggest, uh, uh, this is... Huge! Saturday, I yeah. thought I'm going to drive over to see what's going on. And mm-hmm. at Wilmore, the the town it's in is only six thousand residents, but they had twenty five thousand yeah. people on the college wow. campus. And wow. You can't even get inside. You couldn't get inside the main auditorium when this thing started. It just was a handful of students because if you're an Asbury student, you're required to attend chapel. When they, when you decide to three times about three times a week, and just a group of students were in there, and the next thing that happens is this big spontaneous revival, and it's been yeah. going on for I think about eleven days, and it's yeah. started yeah. off principally students, and then you've got adults. It's it's the most amazing thing.
0: You know, you know. To me, the the interesting thing will be when it ends, as I said. Will they let it end? And will they will they enrich? Will they enrich? Oh, that's being moved off campus. You know, it's kind of funny um, that 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 uh, the Jerusalem Church was a real revival. Pentecost was was a was a sovereign gift of God, and the Jerusalem Church ended. You know, the Romans conquered Jerusalem. It was over. And they went, out through, they went out into the world with the fire of the Holy Spirit. So uh, that's kind of a curious thing to me. It would be interesting to see where it goes. But right now, I guess, and I guess it's the similar things are happening on other campuses. And this is an indication to me of the hunger that there is in this country for repentance. There's a hunger for repentance because I think a lot of young people realize things are not all that good. So... Um, yeah, it sounds amazing. I almost feel like getting in the car and going, but it's not Catholic. Yeah, a lot of things aren't. You know, the God, I'm always telling you, God has his problem. He thinks he's God. And this isn't about, di- I don't, is there, no, is there preaching going on or is it really just prayer and worship? It, it, uh, mostly prayer and worship. I think there is some
1: preaching going on. There was certainly, there was certainly, um, I think there's, there's actually both. But mostly prayer and, and worship teams worship, and then they've got leaders there who are, um, I guess, directing things. But then they've got groups of people who are, you know, praying over uh, folks who are there who are. Sure. And, and it's, it's the most incredible thing. I got a friend of mine who keeps putting stuff up on Facebook, uh, mm-hmm. photographs, video, and, and what have you from people who are attending, who've been there several days, and it's it's all the same thing. And when you watch it, you just kind of go, wow. Wow. Yeah, it is, it is, is a definite is, wow.
0: A oh, definite it is. Wow. I mean, it really and, is. And, as, I, as I say, the, 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 the proof to me, oddly enough, I don't know if this makes sense to anybody, will be how it ends. You know, if it ends with uh, starting the the Asbury Revival Association, uh, a non-profit charity, then okay. I was just saying that something begins as a movement, becomes a business, and ends as a racket. You know that really successful things don't, don't, and you know th- there's there's a place for organization in the church. I mean, the church is a structure, but then yeah. when God does something like this. You just gotta let God do it, and uh, I, you know, I, 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 was involved in the Catholic Charismatic renewal back when we called ourselves Catholic Pentecostals, and it was a, an amazing revival. Uh, but yeah. then people decided to organize it, and and uh, that, that's why I ask about preaching. If if somebody gets in there and says, "Well, you got to have our theology, or you're not really saying." stop it just let god do what god's going to do and let god end what god is doing when god wants to end it and let god have the effect that he wants it's it's you know that, that yeah. there are areas of the church that need to be well organized and areas where you just got to let the holy spirit have his own way so you wow. know
1: father there are people who have said that you can just you it's just palpable you can feel the presence yeah. of the holy spirit oh yeah there
0: oh yeah oh yeah i i've been in that situation and then you know when people try to to let's let's have let's do it again you can't i mean this is this is this is a uh i don't know how else to put it i suspect you know and i haven't been there but you have it seems to be something that god has decided to do for a people who really need it and i think we in all of the the different <laughs> branches of of groups that are Christian, uh, uh, I think we need to look and, and and learn to say, you know, a sincere prayer. I've heard that these it started when a few students just went in and really started weeping for their sins. That it started with repentance. That's right. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah that's that's uh, right. people they, Yeah, they just started weep. They wept for their sins, and it wasn't. They didn't have a committee meeting and to plan a revival. They wept for their sins, and it, the the Lord honored that you know, and I think that we can, oh, well, it's not my theology. Well, tough. It's not your theology. Have you wept for your sins? That's, that's different. So this is interesting. And as I say, I will be very interested to see how it ends. <laughs> I know that sounds a little bit backwards, but, but I think that if they, if they let it end when God ends it, you know, instead of reminiscing, you know, I remember hearing a story about, a a, a great preacher. Uh, this was, a. You know, it was the church of what's happening now. And, and another church moved down the road a piece. And uh, gradually people started going there because it was more powerful. And uh, one night the preacher looked out at the Wednesday prayer meeting and there were like five people there. And he said, where is everyone? He said, well, they're, they're down the road. And this preacher said, well, let's go down the road together and we'll see what God is doing. That's the attitude. John the Baptist said he must increase. I must decrease instead of, wait, we got to do some more PR and we'll have a meeting to see what's wrong. You let the Holy Spirit move where the Holy Spirit's going to move and uh, you learn from it. And, you know, good theology is essential. But when you theologize about something like this, um, you got to be a little careful and and you can't repeat it so well todd thanks for the on the ground r- report this is great i'm glad to hear from someone who's actually been there and seen what's going on and uh i i just it just betokens to me the huge hunger that young people today have for christ and for repentance and we had better take notice of it and quit trying to preach a soft and easy gospel thank you todd thank you so much for You're calling welcome, anything Robert. else anything else you want to jump in and say there, there was one thing.
1: There was an article that the Our Sunday Visitor, you know, they've got now. They have their own news, mm-hmm, uh, sure. news magazine. They, that they did an article on this, and uh, this. I think I saw it this Friday or this past Friday or Saturday. Mm-hmm, they did, yeah. and they, uh, and it's a really good article. Good, so you might good, be able to good. search well, it on I'll the web and find it.
0: Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you for the info, and uh, pray, God, that repentance really infects more and more of us. So thanks so much for calling in, Todd. Thanks for the report. Oh, you're welcome,
1: Father. Thank you. Bye now. God
0: bless. Let's go to Mary from uh, Illinois here in the U.S. of A. Mary, what can I do for you?
1: Hi, Father Simon. It's such an honor to speak with you, and thank you for helping me out. Thank Um, you. Start ranting and raving. Um, but my daughter is in a honors world religion class at a Catholic high school. and mm-hmm. she is learning that God didn't just reveal himself to the Israelites, but since there's a kernel of truth in every world religion, He has revealed himself to multiple religions in culturally appropriate ways for them. So salvation doesn't come just from... Could you help me? I know she loves I and respects you. I can help you. you, yes. And I'll have yes, her with you. I can then. help
0: you. <laughs> there are only two types of religion in the world. It's very simple. There's theism and monotheism. And or, or there's... Or rather, there's theism and pantheism. You know, most of the world's religions believe that nature is somehow self-creating. And... Uh, um, that's pantheism and there is theism, which believes that there is a, uh, uh, a, being outside of creation that brought everything into being, uh, out of nothing. That certainly seems to go nicely with the big bang theory and current science. And of the theist religions, there are three major types, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. And, I looked at all three pretty carefully and uh, I really believe that Jesus is in fact the truth. Now, yes, God has revealed himself to all humanity, but not through their religions, but through nature itself. That's what the father's taught, that there is the book of of nature and there is the, the book of the scriptures. God has revealed himself to all humanity, but not through their religions, that, that there are false religions. And, a religion that, that you know, if, if you look at, at uh, for instance, uh, Buddhism. Buddhism is not really a religion. It's a philosophy. But it's about avoiding suffering. Our religion says, no, you don't avoid suffering. You embrace it when God sends it. You kiss the cross. Um, the uh, um, Islam, for instance, says God does not make covenant with human beings. That would lo- lo- lower himself. Uh, God is not father. You can't call God father if you're a devout Muslim. Well, Jesus called God Father. You see, religions are different. If you really look at them, they're different. God reveals himself to all people through his creation, but not necessarily and probably not through a religion. You know, God revealed himself, we believe, in Judaism and in the message, the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. And if you look Roman religion, for instance, um, well, Roman religion believed practical voodoo how to curse your neighbor is that that's contradictory to what we believe we talk about blessing your neighbor you know if you really study a religion profoundly you realize that religions are seriously different from one another and it is just wishful thinking to say well they're all good it's, no they're not <laughs> you know that, that some of them are very harmful and uh, you know I, 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 I've spent my life studying this stuff I got started in in You know, I had a great interest in my youth in comparative religions, and I realized that they're profoundly different from what Jesus taught. You know, Jesus, this, this is a good one. Okay. Are you, are you still there? You've touched a button, Nancy, or Mary, rather, Mary, (laughs) Mary, you know, um, we believe as Christians that we know what God is. God is love, not just any kind of love, Agape which means sacrificial love. I think you can take the word love out of the Bible almost and put in the word sacrifice. God is sacrifice. Therefore, the purpose of life is sacrifice. Most religions of the world, the purpose is to get what you can get from the gods and to keep them off your back. Our purpose is sacrifice. Our religion teaches the purpose of life is sacrifice because God is sacrificial love. That's exactly the opposite of what most religions preach we are the opposite of what most religions preach the cross is the opposite of what most religions preach most religions and most christians even want to find out how to get out of their difficulties oh no no christianity is how do i get how do i offer my my difficulties to the lord how do i use the sorrow in my life to bless the world around me you know we are the opposite of the spirit which is in the world and that teacher is just a a wishful thinking romantic who's deluding her students that's sort of my opinion does that help a little perfect thank you so much good good so there (laughs) all right god bless how much time we got voice in my head oh nancy from pennsylvania i got 45 seconds are you with us i am i am thank you for
1: taking my call i have one simple thing that drives me crazy every year. Every year, I set a goal to do for my sacrifice for Lent, and then I blow it. I've never felt a Lenten sacrifice.
0: God is a loving Father. If you do your best, like you smile at your kids, they tried, he'll smile at you, you tried. You follow the, the, the fasting rules of the church, but this penance that you impose on yourself, well, God's pretty flexible about it. I don't think God will be too upset. And that's, we got purgatory.